This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. DesignCast Podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators. Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. This episode of Design Cast, I had the unique privilege of speaking to Tom Wolper and Matt Cressy. Tom is the founding head of school at the New England Innovation Academy. He has had a very distinguished career in education, and hearing about his journey to where he is now is remarkable. Matt is the Innovation Advisor and Trustee at the New England Innovation Academy. In addition to being the Founding Director at MIT Integrated Design and Management Master's Program, Again, his journey is a joy to listen to, and these two gentlemen are both involved in getting NIA up and running and creating a vision of the future for education. I am confident that you will enjoy this discussion. For more information about Tom and Matt or the New England Innovation Academy, please visit their website, which is linked in the show notes. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Tom and Matt. Welcome back to another episode of Design Cast, and I am just absolutely humbled to have two distinguished guests with me today. So I have Tom Wolper and Matt Cressy here with me. So if you guys don't mind introducing yourselves, Tom, could you tell a little bit about who you are and how you got into education? Sure. I'm thrilled to, to, to be here with you, Jason. I think my college buddies knew I was going to be an educator long before I did. So when I got my teaching in job at the Groton School, coming out of college, they all said lifer. And I guess I realized that uh, teachers were always the most important mentors to me when I was growing up. So I guess it wasn't a surprise that I would want to follow in their footsteps. 
So I went on and was a teaching intern at the Groton School up here in Groton, Mass. Followed that by working at the Taft School, where I was a triple threat teacher, taught history, coached soccer and lacrosse, was an advisor, a dorm parent, became a class dean over time. That led to an extraordinary opportunity where I got to be the head of a small international school in Chiang Mai, Thailand, called Apaya International School. Came back to the States and I worked at the Hotchkiss School, a boarding school in Lakeville, Connecticut for 14 years. And my final role there was as the assistant head of school and dean of academic life. And that's where I really got intrigued about what the future of of education should look like. I'm a little frustrated by how slow, well-established institutions could move to kind of evolve and reach that vision. I then moved on to be the head of Forest Country Day School for uh, six years before this amazing opportunity to be the founding head of New England Innovation Academy came in front of me. So that's the short version of my story, but have always been passionate about working with kids and thinking about what the future of education should look like. Thank you so much, Tom. And I'm sure we'll get into some parts of that in a bit too. But Matt, do you mind telling everybody sort of how your your journey to where you are now? Not at all. And thanks for having us. It's uh, great to be here. I grew up in New Hampshire. I always mention that because that was a very formative time for me growing up in the in the mountains of New Hampshire and connecting with nature, which I think is just a huge part of my life. And I actually had parents who were artists. That was also very unique. So at a very early age, I was trying to grapple with my value as uh, a creative person where the rest of the world kind of wasn't really seeing that. Luckily, I was able to find a spot at Rhode Island School of Design as a student and studied industrial design, where I was introduced to the idea of product design and creating basically experiences for other people. Now, back then, it was mostly physical product. It's obviously changed when the internet was invented (laughs) after I graduated. And so now experiences have a much larger kind of uh, context that we that we think about. You know, I always wanted to be entrepreneurial. Always, my mom was an entrepreneur. I knew I was going to do that. So I sort of set off, tried to create companies. One was fairly large, eventually failed after six years. But what came out of that was sort of a steady state business where I would basically design and invent products for other entrepreneurs or companies that were already in existence. And then I eventually added manufacturing to that. So I would contract manufacturing in China using a very close group of friends in China to do that, which gave a lot of assurance to my clients. And then along the lines there somewhere, RISD heard about what I was doing and asked me if I would come and teach a course for them that happened to be a collaboration with Harvard Business School. So I did that for one semester and then eventually moved to, well, the next year did the same thing with MIT's Sloan School of Management. You know, really kind of felt more comfortable at MIT than Harvard. And of course, RISD, I was always comfortable with. And that was really my home base and teaching. But then about six years ago, I was given this opportunity to create this graduate program at MIT called the Integrated Design and Management Program. So interestingly, the way I came in contact with Nia was that one of my ex-students from MIT was working with the founders of of Nia 
And uh, they were saying, hey, we'd love our school to have some sort of innovation component to it. And so she said, oh, I know just the person you should talk to. So I was introduced to the founders of NIA. And from there, things really took off and it's sort of become what it is now. You have so much, both of you, that I want to ask you follow-up questions about. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you so much for sharing those things. And so let me back up and ask, you you both mentioned NIA. Can we talk a little bit about what that is and what that means? Sure. New England Innovation Academy uh, has as its mission to help students move from uh, purpose to passion, ideas to impact, so they're ready for what's next. So they can become the next generation of innovator who can be the change they want to see in the world. But even backing up from that, the founders of the school profoundly believed that our education system could do better, that it's been failing to prepare students adequately for this rapidly changing world, a world characterized by disruptive technologies, the end of careers as we know it. Uh, we're preparing students for jobs that don't exist yet. They'll change careers multiple times. And yet schools have been stuck in what we often define as the, in- the industrial model of education, where compliance and obedience and moving from room to room at the ring of a bell seems to be what the whole premise of the educational system has been all about. And we really thought that we could do better by really empowering students, leading with empathy, helping them be the innovators and the entrepreneurs that are necessary to meet the challenges of this of our world now. And from that vision, they started to collect this fantastic, inspiring team from partnering with Matt Cressy to other members of, of the board. And we just have a team that's really committed to creating a new model for where education should be, not just for the students that we're looking to enroll in September, but as a disruptor and a model for other schools to look at and to emulate. So we very much want to be part of a transformation uh, in the world of education. Fantastic. And so the school, is it opening in September or how long has it been around? That kind of thing. We we have been in our pre-launch mode now. We're looking to open in September with a sixth grade and a ninth grade with 32 sixth graders and 32 ninth graders. And we're on track to hit that enrollment target if not if not exceeded. And then we hope to double in school size each year to be a school of just under 600 uh, students in grades six through 12, both day and boarding schools by about our fourth or fifth year. Wow, so you are gonna have boarding facilities as well. Yes, in fact, we are renovating what had been the former Verizon Corporate Training Center in Marlboro, Mass. And that was built with three hotel wings attached to the conference center. So we will be renovating those spaces into dorm rooms and the students will be very lucky because they'll all have ensuite bathrooms, which they certainly won't, uh, won't have in college. No, absolutely not. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. That g- gives me a bit more context. And so, Tom, how long have you been involved with the project? And then I'm going to ask Matt the same thing. Sure. I came on board. It's been about a year ago uh, as of May 1st. So the school conducted a search for its, its founding head of school. And as I mentioned a bit earlier, I've been in education for 31 years and have always been far more progressively minded about what the future of education should look like than many of the long established schools that I've been part of. And as I was looking for what was going to come next, I very much wanted to be a part of a school interested in, in transforming education. So when I saw the job posting, it was like a dream come true because who gets to be a founding head of school and mm-hmm. to build something from from scratch. So I've hit my one year anniversary. 
<laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> Happy anniversary. You. And Matt, you, you mentioned you were involved with, you had a student who somehow was connected to the founders? Yeah. So she probably pulled me in, boy, I want to say maybe a year and a half ago. So, you know, probably five or six months before Tom came on board. That's my guess. I was actually trying to look that up on my calendar right now. Yeah. So um, met with the founders, you know, really was struck by their open minds and their ability to take risks. You know, I really saw them for the first time. I, I met this team of people who were who are starting a company that really were courageous and wanted to do something that was was very different. And that was super attractive to me. It's very rare that a creative person is given the amount of flexibility that has been given here, especially in this particular kind of category. You know, education. Most people are very conservative. They they really believe in sort of the legacy and tradition of how education is, has been always taught. And in this case, you know, we have just an amazing team. You know, the founders were one thing, but but everyone that has joined us and, and you know, particularly Tom, have been these courageous people that are so passionate about really making education special, something that is fulfilling, that you know, resonates with children that is fun, right? There, we're, no one's saying, oh, it can't be fun. You know, people are saying, yes, we can make this fun, you know? And so that's really, I think it's just a, a miracle. It's, it's exciting. It, you know, I hear you guys talking about this and to think that really you've only been involved for just over a year and just over a year and a half. It sounds like you've been involved with it a lot longer with the way you're talking about it, with the passion and the excitement. So that to me is a good sign of a, of a good formula. So it sounds really, really exciting. And so I just have a few kind of logistic questions and either one of you can answer this, but I'm assuming with it having boarding and day facilities that it's a, it's a private or, or independent school. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. And so I assume then parents are paying tuition or there's scholarships and grants and that kind of thing available for, for folks. Yes. And, and in fact, we are very mindful of attracting socioeconomic diversity and are uh, using what we're calling FIT, our flexible individualized tuition program to make sure that we have students from all different walks of life at our school. Since to be an innovation academy, we need to have as diverse a student body as possible. Since all the research shows that diverse groups outperform homogenous groups um, all the time. And by diversity, we mean it in all of its forms, from visible forms of diversity, race or ethnicity, as well as the invisible forms, including socioeconomic background. So for us to be successful, it is effectively in our mission, if not in the name of the school, that we want to develop innovators and we need to have as diverse a student body and faculty and staff for that matter as possible. Fantastic. That helps me answer some of the questions I had when I was just thinking about what to ask you guys and, and how the conversation should go. And so, you know, as you guys are talking, I'm immediately thinking about my own knowledge of design thinking and maybe even like the model that IDEO uses in some of those places where you get as many voices around a problem to try to solve it. And it sounds a lot like you're sort of creating an environment that's very similar to that? Is that kind of where, or am I looking at it from a different perspective? No, I, I think that's very, it's close. IDEO does design thinking and 
that's very similar. That that actually stems out of this this practice called human centered design. So we use human centered design for a variety of reasons. I won't go into those now, but that's really the idea that before we start creating solutions for people, let's ask them what they need and what they want before we do it. So you're actually, you know, kind of reaching out to people and connecting with them, understanding their feelings, their needs. You are documenting those things. And from that, you create a design brief. And then that design brief becomes your kind of North Star in the development of the solution for those people. And so we teach that and we feel that that is not only a wonderful way to innovate, it's also a wonderful way to go through life as a human being, as a compassionate human being. We hope that that kind of method, that kind of thinking is something our students turn into a habit. And so when they face any kind of problem or unknown, the first thing, it could just be a question in a meeting. The first thing they say is, let's ask our Let's ask our stakeholders. Let's ask the people we're doing this for. Perhaps that's themselves, but many times we're creating things for other people. And so that's how we've tried to create this school, in, in fact. You know, so we started by talking to children and to educators and to all the stakeholders involved in a school like this. And we went and understood their needs and emotions and then started putting together a solution, mm-hmm. which is what Nia is shaping up to be now. It sounds really exciting. It almost sounds like the school itself and its founding was a, uh, a design brief. <laughs> you know, that it, was, it sounds like it's actually, you know, you're putting all of that into practice. And I think that's super exciting, especially as we kind of emerge from a post-pandemic world where even parents are thinking differently about how schools should be done. And so I think that's super exciting that you guys are are in a point in your in your journey with this school to be able to make that happen and to work with that. And so I want to ask a little bit about sort of, I don't want to just assume, but I'm assuming a lot of what's going to be happening there is very project-based. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, in a word, yes. <laughs> okay. And so what are you basing all that around? Matt, is this part of what you're bringing also is, is your expertise and in, in thinking yeah. about all of these different things? So, yeah, especially, well, certainly on the project-based stuff, but there's a whole team of teachers now that are, you know, working together on this. And so it's really fantastic and takes a lot of pressure off, to be honest. Yeah, you know, the idea is that depending on what age they're at or what grade they're in in the school, I'll just give you a quick example. They could be in the morning studying math and science and humanities and in those, in a, in a more traditional sense. And then, but in those lessons that they learn in the morning will be components that they'll bring into their what we call innovation studio experience in the afternoon where they'll apply what they learned in the morning to a project. So, you know, I, I, Tom's tired of me using this example, but if they learn the formula, actually it's because of my limited education <laughs> uh, that I have to rely on this one example, but it's, uh, you know, if, let's say they learn the formula of calculating the trajectory of a payload or something. In the afternoon, the project could be a slingshot or a catapult or something like that, where they try to predict how far the rock will go or the payload. And so a, a bunch of things happens there. You know, first of all, that's really fun, right? And part of the fun, part of uh, what's required to have this fun is to recall that formula and to apply it. 
So now you're hopefully causing new neural pathways to develop. And that's that that formula is really embedding in your mind. And hopefully you'll never forget it, right? Because now it had some application. And then the other thing you learn is that a lot of these theories that we teach, they don't always turn out to be correct. You know, I mean, it's very unlikely that you do the calculation for where, how, where that rock is going to land, that it lands in that area. And so now you start grappling with what you know, engineers and scientists and people, you know, entrepreneurs are grappling with all the time. You have a theory, you can do calculations, you can make projections, you can do all of these things, but until you build it and test it, you really don't know if your formulas were right. And I think a lot of academics, a lot of people have a false sense of security in our ability to calculate, you know? We rely on big data and formulas and algorithms and AI and machine learning and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, if it ain't real, you don't know if it's got value or not. Completely true. I agree, I agree with you, Matt. And it sounds to me like there's a lot of transdisciplinary learning as well, which is not always um, happening in traditional educational circles. <laughs> it's this idea yeah. of connecting the different disciplines. So Absolutely. is there, I assume that's a deliberate choice as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And to work on teams, you know, to, to be a good teammate. These are all skills that I don't think we teach in traditional schools, but they are essential to do anything of, of large value or medium-sized value when you actually are in the real world. And to pick up on that, you know, and what I've been learning from Matt, well, as I've been working with him, we really see human-centered design, not just as a process, but I'd like to call it also as an ethos, that you need to deeply understand the needs of others. You need to lead with empathy. And many schools talk about developing empathy, but they really don't have a way to do that. It just becomes this bright, shiny, wonderful word. But through a human-centered design approach, where you begin by asking people what their needs and wants are, you go through the process and you express back to them later what you've heard is a way to develop the muscle, the reflex of empathy. It's also a place where you have to deal with ambiguity need to make difficult choices. You need to fail um, and fail forward as we talk about and then iterate and design again. And as much as it's a structured process to help in design and innovation, it's really internalizing those values and habits of mind is something I find really exciting. Back to your point about you know, the transdisciplinary work, which is gonna be, be central, schools also talk a lot about student agency. And this is truly going to be a place where students are going to have you know, voice and choice in what they do. So really see this as a way to develop an ethos, a way of living the skills that are going to transfer far beyond their time at NIA. I'm really excited. You guys have sold me on this whole idea. I'm so pumped. And Well, we have I'm, a spot for you. If you oh, could. fantastic. We have the tickets now, man. So, so tell me, what kind of things have you guys actually come in? as a struggle, what are some of the things you've maybe had some difficulties in, whether it's uh, securing people who are going to believe also in the, in the mission and vision, or, you know, what have been some of the sort of the obstacles you guys have had to kind of go up against? Sure. I can jump in first, but what we have not found as an obstacle is what you just said. I did not know when we were going to start to post jobs and go out to the marketplace, whether we would have to spend a lot of time convincing people to leave a more traditional educational world to come join us. And we've been overwhelmed with the passion and the interest. 
and so many other educators, I think, have felt perhaps a bit trapped like I did in the cultural inertia of our institutions and haven't been able to push out and stretch and try different things in quite the way that they wanted to. So that's not been our problem whatsoever. And we've also been able to have been so pleasantly surprised about the number of families who have been excited about what we are doing. And I think I would would never wish this pandemic on anybody, but I, I think this pandemic has led to a real disruption in many things, including in education, or at least how parents view education, because they've been looking over the shoulders of their children's doing Zoom classes. And my undying gratitude goes out to my colleagues in the education field who have made that pivot. But I think it's also revealed the limitations of the current educational model. But I'd say that the biggest challenge is we've been moving a vision to reality. And there's just so much that has to be done from getting our building ready to writing the curriculum to writing a handbook and dealing with lawyers to make sure we have all the proper policies and practices in place. It's just a lot. And we're doing this also as a human-centered design school. We don't want to complete everything with just a team of, with just our pre-launch team making all of the decisions about what the school is going to look like. We very much want to partner with our first students and our founding faculty and our parents as co-creators in this school. So I think some part for me has been uh, dealing with the ambiguity that is both the power of the school, I think, to lean into that ambiguity and to co-create around it versus the part of me that wants everything to be buttoned up and recognizing that you know it's going to continue to be a process. And Matt, what are some of the challenges you've seen from, from your end? Well, I'd say the development of that curriculum part, that's also ambiguous. There's a lot of uh, unknowns there. So, you know, I think that's that's the thing that keeps me up at night. Not that I'm up at night, but if I were, that would be it. Yeah, you know, and I think also just sort of staying pure, sort of having a purity of a vision across the organization. You know, one of the biggest challenges when you create an organization or a business is that the culture that is formed as you add people you know, as the culture grows, right, in numbers, it, it can take on its own kind of direction and momentum or inertia. And it doesn't matter how strong leadership is, sometimes that just goes its own direction. And so I think that we, early on, we, I think we started to have some of those issues, but, you know, thanks to Tom and and everybody else, you know, we were able to kind of correct it early. And now as we're adding people, that direction is true and pure to our, I think, to our vision. So I don't feel so worried about that, but you know, that was something that I think uh, we have to kind of constantly kind of polish a little bit as we, as we move forward and, and grow. And I, I think just to add on to that and related to it is as we deal with this ambiguity, I can worry about us regressing to the mean, going back to the way things have always been done yeah. and to amplify what Matt said, stay true to the purity of the vision that we want to build a school and a culture and an experience that is transformative, that is empowering students to find their passion and move to purpose, that is preparing them for this changing world in a way that schools have not been doing so. And I'll just add that that's been one of the great things about working with Tom is that of the two of us, I'm the one who, you know, went to art school. I'm the one who's a terrible student. I've been disruptive my entire life, right? Even to this day, you know, I'm disruptive. Yet Tom 
continues to sort of lift those kind of limitations of traditional ways of thinking about things and gives me permission to let that wacky, you know, super creative part come through. So I'm very grateful for that because otherwise I'd probably be a little more conservative in, in the approach. Mm. I like the way you said that, Matt. I want to just bring attention to that, that Tom gave you permission to do that. And I, I think in so many educational organizations, just like in industrial organizations that are standardized, right, that everyone has a role to do and this and that, I think it's great that there's been some latitude given <laughs> so that you can actually use those creative ideas and those sort of barrier breakers to think about how to do this differently. Because I, I mean, I think we all agree that the, the way we've been doing it is not the way we should be doing it. I think it's great that you use that word. I really like that word. Thank you for using that word <laughs> because that helped yeah. me understand it even more. Right. And, and it had to be someone like Tom to give me that permission because you know, Tom comes from 31 years of working in traditional academic settings. That gives him incredible credibility in my mind. So if he says, we got to change things, I believe it. As opposed to, if, let's say I was doing this with a whole bunch of crazy people like me. And someone said, we got to change things. I'd be like, yeah, do you really know? You know, I mean, do you really know if the other system's working or not? Because we all were terrible, you know, so, but with Tom, there's, you know, I- It's funny you mentioned that. I, I was having a conversation yesterday, actually with one of my, my older son is a 10th grader in high school. So too old to join us in, in Nia now. I was talking to one of his classmates' fathers and my son's classmate is a really talented pianist and is part of a conservatory program that's attached to a different high school. But his school, where he goes, won't accept the credit for what the student is doing at the other school because they have their own rules. You got to earn our art credit here. We're sorry, even though it is probably the most renowned conservatory program attached, attached to a prep school in the entire independent school league. The school is so stuck on our credits and our way of doing things. It can't look and go, this extraordinary artist is getting what he needs at another school why not recognize it and support it instead of putting up roadblocks? And these are things I see in educational institutions all the time. They get mm -hmm. so caught up with their way of doing things or, or their standards that they stop seeing the students in front of them and what they need to develop their passion. And that's not going to be near. <laughs> that's actually a perfect segue for me because I was going to, I was really curious about how are you quantifying, I guess, or providing perform, you know, the record of performance? I don't know what, what I want to call it. Credit is what I'm talking about. Sure. But I was hoping to use a clever word about that. Yeah. But, you know, how let's say a student for whatever unknown reason has to leave and go to another school after they've sure. been with you. How do you show that? How do you demonstrate what they've been doing? Sure. Well, we've joined a consortium of schools called the Mastery Transcript Consortium, and we're really focused on competency-based education. And there's some work to do here. I, I think that there's a lot of research and a lot of materials that we can lean into with the Mastery Transcript Consortium and on competency-based education. But the traditional education world likes to have letter grades or number grades and likes the transcript to you know, judge, rank, and sort students instead of focusing on what they've learned and how to, to empower them. And I say that recognizing that actually engaged in lots of conversations recently, looking at the college admission process that likes to have a transcript that you can diagnose a student's abilities in 
90 seconds or less, which is about the average time that a college admission officer looks at a transcript and trying to balance those two to have a mastery-based transcript and really focus on competency-based education, but also making sure that things can be translated in a way that's clear and understandable. My last point always, I, I think the best way to show what a student knows and can do is to show their work. I think that speaks volumes. I think back to your point, I think we're on the on the cusp between two different systems of moving towards this, this company this competency-based system, and maybe there's some way to do badging attached with that and a traditional system that wants to have a traditional transcript. My, my school is part of that same consortium, so I was sort of hinting around that, thinking that might <laughs> you guys were doing. Yep. And we're yep. also an IB school, so we have you know criterion-based grading, and then we also have a traditional high school mm. transcript <laughs> You know that we have to kind of send off to these yep. universities who maybe don't always get it or just haven't been exposed to it, I think. And so, but we have found that by right. talking to the universities, they are willing to be flexible. So I think especially yeah. now more and more universities are getting used to that. But, and I'm sure Matt, you've seen having been a student at that the portfolio is in, of utmost importance. Absolutely. You, you, you find that to be true even in like the the more work world kind of thing or the more tertiary education? Yeah. You know, if you want to get into IDM at MIT, we we make everyone submit a portfolio, and they're incredibly telling as to a person's true capabilities. It's really great. You know, I just can't imagine trying to evaluate applicants with just a resume and a you know vision statement and recommendations. So our students will be leaving NIA with portfolios. And we hope that the rest of the world embraces that medium as a way of gauging people's ability in, in the things mm. that they do. That's fantastic to hear. You're saying all the right things, guys. This is exactly what I was hoping you guys would be saying. So it, it sounds like we're all on the same page and and we're in the same mindset. And actually, you'd be surprised here in Asia, we are finding more and more schools are focusing on the portfolio and the performance base versus the scores. Right. And, yeah. and so, yeah, how exciting that is. So what is your vision for the school? Like, where would you like to see th things go in the next five to 10 to 20 years? I'd say at the highest level, I hope that we become a model for what education can and should be uh, a model for schools across the country and across the world. And I, I say that as a really ambitious vision. That means, of course, that we are delivering on what we promise to our students. And related to that, I would love to have students while at NIA or soon after when they graduate, be the ones that you read about, you know, these teenage innovators who start a product that not only makes money, but transforms their communities or the environment or makes a difference in the world. So we'd love to have a combination of those two things, a model for other schools and then graduate students who are out making a difference. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add to that, you know, my, my particular dream here is obviously that NIA becomes that, that everything that Tom just said. Plus I would like human centered design to be taught to every child, you know, across the world, across the globe. Because I think that's where you get, you could actually teach people to care about each other and have that habit of before, you know, making a decision or forming an opinion, right, to actually 
go out and talk to other people. It's a process for breaking down biases and generalizations. And I think we really need that, especially now. So I'll leave it at that. But if we can sort of make this a prototype that is incredibly successful and enticing to all other schools around the world, you know, we would love to help them ramp up a human-centered design curriculum so that we can all sort of have better citizenship. You know, those citizens become our leaders. Those kids become our leaders eventually. Absolutely. And I am 100% in agreement about the human-centered design portion of that. It's part of what I teach in my own classes. I'd, I'd love to see that you guys are actually living it out and demonstrating it as you're founding this organization and this institution. So I think that you should be applauded for that. I love what you guys are doing. It's really, really, really exciting. Thank you guys so much for sharing that with me. I have just two quick questions real quick from each of you. And so if Tom and then Matt can tell me what book everyone should stop right now and read. I can start here and, and maybe this is uh, in part because it's a book that the leadership team just read, but we just read the book, Me and White Supremacy. And it's really been a powerful book to help me understand implicit bias. It's going to be so important for us to create a culture of belonging at NIA to do some of that work to reflect on my background and the way that I view the world has been really powerful and important. So mm. I would encourage me and white supremacy. All right. That sounds great. And Matt? I'm going to go with a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. That has by Jonathan Haidt, and it is uh, really fantastic. It really talks about what we intend to do versus what we actually do in our lives and sort of give some frameworks of thinking about that that are very useful. So, you know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I have all kinds of great intentions. You know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But for some reason, I don't do what my, my brain thought I would do. You know, <laughs> I end up behaving in a different way. So this book kind of helps get around mm. that. It's really, really a neat book. I highly recommend it. I have a good read shelf that I put everyone's recommendations from the podcast on. So I'll pop those two up there and I'll put them in the show notes. Awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you guys so much for sharing those with me. And so the last question I have is I know that people who are listening are going to want to find out more about Nia. So can you guys tell me what's the best way to get in touch with you guys and to find out more about the project? Absolutely. Well, the best place to go first is to our website, which is, you know, N-E-I-A-C-A-D-E-M-Y.org, N-E-I-A or N-E-I-Academy.org. And if you go there, you'll be able to find our profiles on the website and there are two kind of email addresses to reach out and contact us. I am sure that people will be reaching out. And so I would love to see if maybe a year from now we could meet again after the school is up and open and, and things are rolling along. I would love to get an update on how you guys are doing. Would you guys be open to, to meeting again? Absolutely. Yep. Sounds That's, great. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon.
Jason here from DesignCast, and I am just so pleased that you're here listening to DesignCast. I really appreciate all the feedback everyone's been giving me. It's been so fantastic to hear it, and it just really inspires me to continue going. Of course, making this week on week is difficult. If you feel so inclined, of course, there is no pressure. I would love it if you would take part in helping to support this podcast. And so I'm using a website called Buy Me a Coffee, and there are a couple different ways you can give. One is you can give a one-time gift, and then also there are monthly gifts that you can give. And by doing that, you will receive some services from me. Number one, you'll be part of Signcast support family. Also, there are different levels within that. So head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash designcast, and you can find out more about the different ways you can support me. Thank you.